Good morning again. We are glad that you are here or glad that you are live streaming uh, today. This is the second in our series called Marked. And the title package that you heard there was not just a narrator's thoughts. These were actually words from God. And, and the reason that we call it Marked are these are the qualities that mark us as Christian people. You know, the salt and the light that God intends us to be in the world. When we have these qualities, and they're recorded for us in Second Peter chapter 1, which is kind of the theme for the overall series, and then we're looking at a text that, that promotes that one-word concept that we're focusing on today. And in Second Peter chapter 1, it says, For this reason, because of all that God has done for us, he says in the opening verses, because of all that he has done for us, make every effort to add to your faith, and then he says, goodness, and to goodness knowledge. And then he goes on to say, God has placed no limitation on these things that our life should be marked by. And if we practice these things in our faith, they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us want to be ineffective and unproductive. You know, we want to be useful in the hands of the one who died for us. And so today we're focusing on knowledge. But when we typically think about knowledge in the context of faith or in the context of religion, it typically gets pretty ugly. We tend to categorize people. You know, in our knowledge, they are Jewish people. They are Muslim. They are Buddhist. They are Hindu. They are agnostic. They are Christian. They are Mormon. They are Jehovah Witness. And then even within Christianity, we have shades of Christianity. They're not just Baptists, why they're American Baptists, which is not the same as us who are Southern Baptists, you know, or, or they're a Lutheran Missouri Synod or Lutheran Wisconsin Synod or Lutheran ELCA or whatever. It tends to get about who's right and who's wrong. When I think about Jesus saying, you know, I want you to be marked by certain qualities that will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, I don't think he's talking about that kind of knowledge. In fact, that kind of knowledge almost always digresses into who's right and who's wrong. Just didn't see that in the life and the ministry of Jesus. So when he's talking about knowledge, he's not talking about that kind of knowledge. That kind of knowledge almost always divides rather than unites. And that kind of knowledge is well intended but tends to end badly. God save us from people who are just well intended. A perfect example of how religion can sometimes divide and, and, and not promote the kind of spirit and the attitudes that, that uh, God wants the Christian faith to be marked by uh, took place in the news this week. And unless you're living under a rock, uh, you know that it, uh, it uh, kind of captivated the news cycles. Uh, the Pope made a, an appearance in Mexico and, and uh, he's, he's a great man. He's a compassionate man. He, he really moves among the people. I think one of the masses he held was at a prison in Mexico. I mean, he's always identifying with the downtrodden. And I think out of compassion for those who are suffering at the hands of the drug cartels in Mexico and also for the extreme poverty and uh, the fact that people are just trying to flee that area and, and move uh, into the United States, that's become a big issue. And so he made an appearance at the wall. And yes, I am going to go there. Uh, 
he said at the wall, he said, a person, referring uh, not so vaguely to Donald Trump, a person who thinks about building walls wherever they may be and not building bridges is not a Christian. That is not the gospel. You know, well-intended remarks and, and moved by compassion. Uh, but then Donald, who took offense, and probably for justified reasons, said, amazing comments from the Pope considering the Vatican City is 100% surrounded by massive walls and gates that are manned by armed guards. No leader, especially a religious leader, should have the right to question another man's religion or faith. You know, religion, knowledge, that divides. I don't think that's how God intends us to be marked. But it's not just left to religious leaders like pastors who do such things or or popes or, or politicians like Trump or Cruz or any of those guys. No, it happens even in our own private worlds. You know, uh, our knowledge can be used to heal or it can be used to hurt. There's a pretty good example in the book, Jane Eyre. Uh, Jane Eyre was a, a novel, kind of a, a classic novel. It was written about social class in England in the 1840s. That's when that book was published. They've made a couple of movies out of that book. It's kind of a classic book. It's a story about a young 10-year-old girl who becomes a servant to a, to a, you know, a wealthy family. And, and she's kind of a ruffian. And, uh, and her mentor tries to take her under his wing and, and provide some culture to her and, and some social uh, knowledge. And, and uh, in the story, very early when she's just 10 years old and she's coming into this new environment, uh, she has done something for which she is reprimanded. And, uh, and he uses religion to reprimand her. He says, there's nothing so sad as a 10-year-old naughty girl. He says, do you know what happened to the wicked after they die? 10-year-old girl says, they go to hell, sir. And he says, hell, and what do you know about hell? He said, it's a pit of fire. He says, it's a pit of fire. And what must you do to avoid going there? And she says, Live a healthy life and never die. It's <laughs> about right. You know, she, she spoke some truth there because religion without faith, it, it, it just becomes a book of do's and don'ts. And we do what we shouldn't do and we don't do what we should do. And it convicts, it convicts, it convicts, it kills, it divides even us, let alone those that we stand by and judge. Well, this is what we want to take a look at. Um, there is something innate in every person that understands that there is a God. And that innate thing that God has placed in us, this knowledge of his existence, either drives us to find him and understand him, and, and, and it drives others to deny and reject something they claim doesn't exist, then why deny and why reject it? Um, the book of Hebrews, Paul said, we know that every house has a builder. Everybody knows that. If you see something, you say, I wonder who made that. I wonder who built that. I wonder whose idea that was. And so when you look at the world, you say, but the builder of all things is God. Here's how Abraham Lincoln uh, put the concept. He, could, uh, he says, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down on the earth and see all that goes on here and, and be an atheist. He says, but I cannot conceive how a man can look into heaven and say there is no God. 
Well, let's, let's pray about this natural knowledge and this specific knowledge of our Lord and Savior as God intends us to be marked by so that we might have a better understanding of what he means so that we would be effective and productive in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ. We pray. Lord, it's a, it's a big task, you know, to, uh, to humble ourselves and, and to allow divine thoughts to enter into a mortal mind. And yet that's what we desire, Lord, that, that by your spirit you would do what is impossible. And that's uh, for my puny mind and, and my limited reason to grasp a concept that can change the world. Help me, Lord, as I look at your example in the story we're about to read to better understand your will for my life, that my life might be marked by the qualities that made your life so powerful, that I might show to others through my bearing uh, your limitless love for them and for me. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to use the story from uh, Jesus discussing religion and discussing knowledge of true religion uh, with a woman that he came into contact with uh, in John chapter 4. Now, it turns out that Jewish, uh, Jesus was raised a, a Jewish man, a Jewish man who certainly understood all the promises, and he was indeed the fulfillment of all those promises that God made you know, to the generations before him. But he's moving through a region of Samaria, a people that didn't get along with the Jewish people. There was a racial tension between them. And he comes into contact with a, a woman there. And there's just so many dynamic things that take place. I think it's a good place for us to go. Uh, here's what happened. Jesus was down near Jerusalem in the southern part of the Palestine, uh, where most of the Jewish people, especially the religious Jewish people, lived near the temple and uh, made their living in that region called Judea. Uh, the northern section of the land was called Galilee. Uh, that was not as heavily populated. That was on the edges of uh, Judaism. But that's where Jesus was raised, in the city of Nazareth, really in the uppermost regions of Galilee, in fact. And so he decided that uh, when he began to baptize perhaps even more people than John the Baptist, attention began to swing uh, from the critics of John towards Jesus. Uh, but then John mentions, but Jesus was baptizing no one, only his disciples were baptizing people. But his popularity was beginning to rise, and John the Baptist's popularity was beginning to wane. And Jesus knew that wasn't all good, because the, the critics that wanted John dead would soon turn against him and try to uh, demise his uh, death as well. We're going to be looking then from John chapter 4, beginning at verse 3 through 26. We're going to take it in three sections. The first section I called getting acquainted when he first comes into contact with this woman who was a Samaritan uh, in the region of Samaria. Let's read. So he left Judea and he went back north again once more to Galilee. Now he had to pass through Samaria. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. Most of them walked up the Jordan River Valley all the way to the Sea of Galilee and then they cut across uh, the trade route uh, in order to avoid Samaria. But he decided to walk right through the region of Samaria. He didn't go first east, then north, and then west. He just went on a beeline straight towards home. So he came to a town in Samaria that was called Sychar. It was kind of the capital you know, of the Samaritan people. Now, I realize that most of us you know, don't understand who these people are, but the Samaritans were kind of an interesting group of people. It was the practice of the Assyrians who conquered the ten tribes to the north, and carry them off into captivity 
never to be heard of again. Jewish people who lived in the northern tribes uh, captured and carried away. It was their practice to displace people. And so they took, they took the Jews from, from the region of Samaria and they displaced them God only knows where. And then they took Arabs and brought them back and displaced them after they'd captured them back to the region of Samaria. Now there was a belief at the time that a God was a regional God. And for those people to prosper in that place, they would need to know how to worship the Jewish God because that was Jewish land. And so then they brought rabbis back to teach these Arabs the Jewish faith. So they were not Jewish by race, but they thought they were Jewish by belief, but some of their belief was somewhat corrupted. And so the Jews and the Samaritans on a lot of different levels did not like each other. So that's the reason that there's this discussion that he has with her. Uh, so he came to uh, a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by that well. Now it was about high noon, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, uh, those of us who, who know the story... Uh, Realized that most people don't come to draw water at noon. Uh, she had reason. She was trying to avoid people. People usually come in the cool of the morning to do the laborious task of bringing water back to their shelters. Uh, or they go in the cool of the evening. She went at noon and the reason is going to become obvious in a while. She wanted to avoid people. Uh, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Strange request. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So that's the introductory section. Now, when we think about knowledge apart from faith, uh, it, it doesn't do what God intends for knowledge to do, which is to build up and to encourage and to embrace and to communicate God's love. In fact, uh, knowledge is not the same as faith, and knowledge that is devoid of faith always leads to despair. This woman had some knowledge, but she didn't have an understanding of who God was and how God loved her. And so uh, she was, in fact, uh, believing that such knowledge was condemning knowledge. And it was condemning on several points. And because this is baseball season, let's, let's use a baseball metaphor. Strike one, she played the race card. You are Jewish. You know, knowledge stereotypes happen because of knowledge. You know, it's, it's shortcut. You know, we know how those people behave. We know how those people think. She didn't even receive Jesus as an individual. She received him as a race of people. You are Jewish. What would you have to do with me? And then she played the faith card. And I am a Samaritan and my faith is different than your faith. Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with each other. And then she played the gender card. And I'm a woman. <laughs> we know that Jewish men and Arab men and Samaritan men have nothing to do with women. They don't make requests, especially of other people's women. You know, why would you possibly do this? And, and so she felt rejected because of her knowledge about how the religious system works. And that's what knowledge without faith always does. And there was also another DQ, if you want to use baseball men. Uh, metaphor. Uh, another hidden disqualification. Uh, she's going to find out later that Jesus knew, although at this point she knew, but she didn't know that he knew. You have had five husbands, 
And the one you are living with now is not even married to you. You know, so she was eliminated on the basis of her knowledge because he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and the moral card as well, she was a sinful woman. Knowledge devoid of faith always leads to despair. The scriptures know this very well, but it's important for us to remember this too. You know, our faith is not just based on knowledge. In in fact, there's a discussion that Paul has with the church at Corinth when they were talking about food that was offered to idols. Now, now, uh, people would offer animals to idols, but they would only offer a portion of the animal to idols. And then the rest of the animal would be sold in the marketplace and people could shop for meat that way and, and bring it home. Now, uh, there were a lot of Jewish people that believed they couldn't eat that animal because if they did, they were somehow condoning idolatrous worship. Now, Paul makes the point in Corinthians, he says, now we know that food is just food, meat is just meat, and if we buy that food, you know, it doesn't mean that we condone their religious practice at all. He says, we have that knowledge, but if by the exercise of that knowledge we cause a brother to fall meaning that he thinks we don't care that that idol is worth worshiping because we eat that meat, then we should avoid doing it. So we know we have freedom, but if somebody sees us exercise our freedom and is confused by our behavior and they think that we're condoning idol worship, then we should avoid it. And then he says this. He says, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes us feel superior. But love builds up. In another place, also writing to the Corinthians, he says, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit of the law gives life. You know, if if you use the law, if you use your understanding of the Bible, the Ten Commandments and all that God says you should do and all the Bible says you shouldn't do and, and that's all your religion is to you, it will destroy you because you cannot measure up. But if you understand the spirit of God who says these laws of expectation or for you to realize how great is your need for a Savior so that you will cherish what God has done because of your sinfulness through Jesus Christ, then that gives life. The same law does two different things. It destroys those who don't know about Jesus, but it reminds those of us who do know what God has done because of our sinfulness, how great is God's love for us. You know, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit of the law gives life. Let's uh, continue the reading. Let the games begin as Jesus goes a little deeper with this lady in John chapter 4. Jesus answered her, If you had the key, hmm, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, asking you for this drink, you would have fallen on your knees and you would have asked him and he would have given you that key. He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water, not talking about this water, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. 
the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She had knowledge, but it was limited knowledge. It didn't understand the key and therefore could not understand even what he was saying to her. The second truth is that people hold preferred beliefs, but God has no preferred people. Our preferred belief often separates us, but God's preference is that all would be saved. Everyone would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we are marked by that kind of knowledge Uh, then we are uniters. Uh, Then we are uh, people who reach out as Christ reached across different lines. But we do have preferred beliefs, and the beliefs can get in our way. For instance, my study Bible, it's not this Bible. This is a Bible that uh, is the same text as what we use on the screen. Therefore, I use it when I teach. But my study Bible is the New American Standard Version. Uh, It's not a good Bible to read publicly because it tends to try to follow the the actual sentence structure of Greek and Hebrew, which is not the way Americans talk, and and so it's a little awkward for reading, but it's good for studying for me. And and my study Bible also has notes in it from Dr. Charles Ryrie. Now, Dr. Charles Ryrie, when I bought that Bible, which was a long time ago, in fact, I've recovered it twice, uh, uh, was the department chairman of theology of the Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas. That's a seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, he has forgotten more about the Christian faith than I will ever know. I just so admire his wisdom in most of his notes. But there are occasionally uh, things that he writes that I just make me smile because it's not how I understand Scripture. It's not even how I believe the Scripture speaks. But out of his tradition, he has closed his mind to certain things that are taught uh, in the Bible. Uh, And one of them is baptism. You know, Baptists believe that it's just kind of a, you know, I'm with you, Jesus. It's, you know, kind of a statement of uh, I'm going to follow you. And if I fall away from the faith, I'll be baptized again to say, you know, I'm going to follow you. And uh, we know, however, that the baptism uh, of the Scripture is not just something we do for God. It's actually something that God does for us. In fact, there's a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 that says, can't get any more clear than this. Baptism doth also now save you, not by removal of dirt from your skin, but by an appeal to God, trusting in the promises that have been made through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, And so I'm amused when I read Dr. Ryrie's study notes. On that verse, when I go to the bottom of the page and see what he wrote, he says, we, of course, know baptism saves nobody, you know, despite what the Scripture says. And because, he's, because, you know, he knows what he believes, and he's kind of locked up by his denominational faith. And, and then I, I read again in Acts chapter 2 where it says, be baptized, have your sins washed away, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two things happen in baptism. That's why we stress it so much here. Two things happen. Have your sins washed away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Ryrie's notes say, see notes on 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, so, you know he's convinced. Now, I'm not too judgmental about him. As I said, I admire him. He, he's a tremendous Bible scholar, and he knows so much, and I've learned so much from him. When I see that, I say, people have preferred beliefs. I wonder what I'm blind to. You know, I wonder what in my tradition I've been taught that I'm not open to redirection based on what the Scripture actually teaches. Mark Twain understood that. In, in fact, uh, Mark Twain said, uh, The ease with which I conclude another man's religion is folly teaches me to suspect my own as well. <laughs> Jesus demonstrated an acceptance 
of the Samaritan woman. You know, man, I love you. God loves you. And if you would know who I am and and what I have to offer, you would have asked me for living water instead of questioning my request of you. But because she didn't understand what he was saying, his offer seemed foolish to her. She went back to the literal meaning of water. You have nothing to draw water with. He says, come on. I want more for you than that. And so he drills down. Let's continue with the last section of the reading. The reading goes on even beyond this because after he convinces her who he is, she goes into the town that has rejected her and she brings them out and, and they begin to understand who Jesus is. We don't have time for all of that, but we're going to continue with this verse. Go back for a minute, guys, to the, next, to the last screen. Um, Uh, he's going to get to the heart of the matter. He's going to drill down and he's going to say, okay, let's quit talking theology. Let's quit talking uh, Jew, Samaritan. Let's talk about you. And so he says, uh, here's an idea. Go call your husband. Let's let's have this conversation with him as well. Now, he he doesn't really care that her husband is there. He wants to get to another point. I have no husband, she replied. And she could easily be just disarming him. You know, my husband died. You know, I've never been married. Uh, She's speaking truth, but she's speaking half-truth. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband, because this I know. The fact is you've had five husbands, and you're living with a guy now who is not your husband. What you have said is exactly so, quite true. Sir, the woman said, I perceive you uh, are a prophet, that you know things that have not been revealed by me. Our ancestors, so she says, let's move off of this personal discussion. Let's get back to something I feel more comfortable about. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Let's move away from all that discussion. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation comes out of the Jewish history and faith and promises. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship God, not according to necessarily rules of right and wrong, but will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is a spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ. She had pretty good knowledge for a lady in the Samaritan faith. I know when the Messiah called the Christ uh, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain all of this to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is the part where God's knowledge, the kind of knowledge that should mark us, is so clearly taught by Jesus Because Jesus emphasizes not ideology, Jesus emphasizes intimacy. That's what God wants for us. Jesus knows the truth about all of us. And he knows where we err. He knows what we've done. He knows our regrets. He knows our shame. He knows everything about us as he knew about this woman. And still he reaches out a hand to us. This is knowledge that God wants. He wants intimacy with you. And he wants you to have intimacy with him. Not to fear him, 
but to understand that even his instruction, even the factual knowledge is intended to serve a greater purpose, not knowledge for knowledge's sake. When I was a younger pastor here, I taught confirmation personally for many years before we had a youth staff who helped uh, do that. We, we still bring pastors in and, and other uh, uh, Christian teachers from our school to do some teaching. Uh, but I used to do all that myself. And it was interesting for me to watch because I'd have 25, 30, 40, 50 kids. And, and uh, at, at that time, we were really focused on knowledge. In fact, there are six chief parts of the Christian faith, so they had to pass six tests for me. And if they didn't get it right, I would have them correct their tests because that wasn't so much about a grade for me. It was about them understanding what I was trying to get through. And, and, uh, and some kids were just brilliant in school and, and brilliant in confirmation. They got all A's. I got to tell you that most of those kids that got all A's, after they were confirmed, no longer attended church. They had passed out of faith because knowledge to them was knowing the facts when in fact the facts were only intended for them to know Jesus and to have a living relationship with their Lord and Savior Christ. If you focus only on the facts, you miss the point of the facts. And it took me a long time to realize that. You see, Jesus didn't live suffer, die, and rise again to make a point that we might memorize. Jesus lived to show us how God cares about people, how he interacted with foreigners, how he interacted with people of different faith, how he interacted with poor people, sick people. He was God among us, uh, not just to accomplish salvation on the cross, but to show us God's compassion to give context to the knowledge that we think we have. He suffered, died, and rose again to save people, to bring us into relationship with him. And when we understand that, then we're marked by the right knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that God loves all people and desires all people to be saved. Paul himself said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world not just to teach truth, not just to make a point. He came to save sinners of who I even am the worst. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that the facts of the gospel are unimportant. I'm not suggesting that all the history of the Bible that leads us to know who Jesus was and what the mission Jesus was on to accomplish is insignificant. It's not just all about God's love. It's about what God through love has done to bring us back to him. Facts matter. Jesus said to her, you know, I'm glad you know that, but, but you don't know at all. Salvation is from the Jews. You have to understand, you know, that from the beginning of time, from the first time there was sin, God promised rescue. And, and he kept repeating that promise. And, and he did it in such specific ways that clearly... You could see by studying the facts that I am the one. Based on the detail of the predictions and the fulfillment in my life, I am the one that has come to bring about the purpose of the facts. The salvation of people who have strayed from God. There's a trite but true saying that people don't care what you know if they don't know that you care. Knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will always be personal as you interact with others, whether Christian in other denominations or whether people from completely different faiths apart from Christianity. 
My son, I'm proud of him. Uh, our son, Carol, and my son is, is a pastor in uh, Boise, Idaho. And, and it's kind of interesting uh, to see him establish a ministry there. You know, we've established a ministry. Not every ministry is the same. We live in different contexts. Uh, but it's interesting. The, the broad strokes are very, very similar. And, and you've noticed uh, in, in this church that, uh, that we, don't, we don't spoon feed you a lot here. There are those who want pastors to do everything, to organize everything, to show up everywhere, uh, to teach Bible classes. And we're saying, um, you should become self-feeders at a point in your life, right? Does your mom and dad still come to your house and cut up your food and feed it to you? I, I think there's a point in life where you expect people to feed themselves, right? And parents who are wise teach their children how to mature in faith. And I love that he's doing that as well. And he doesn't believe that he has to organize every mission opportunity, every outreach into the city. He says, you guys have relationships. You have neighbors. You know people who are not of the right faith. You know Samaritan women. You know people who have had five husbands and the one they're living with now is not their husband. You have knowledge of them. Use your knowledge of God's love for them to witness to them. Now, in, in the way this is playing out for them is that they have uh, refugees in their community, a lot of Bosnian people. By the way, we have a lot of Bosnians here. Yeah, St. Louis has the highest concentration of Bosnians uh, anywhere in the world except for Europe, you know, around Bevo Mill. And uh, most of them are Muslim people. And uh, he, he's showing that I'm, I'm not going to organize an effort to reach uh, refugees in, in Idaho, in, in Boise, I'm going to show you how together with a couple of other couples we're doing this and then you go and do likewise. We don't have to spoon feed you. We just have to provide an example. And so uh, they and two other couples have kind of adopted a a Bosnian family and and they're trying to help them immigrate into American life. Uh, They know very little about the educational process, had no transportation, no jobs. You know, they just had friends who got them to Boise and then and then they were kind of on their own and and so they've come alongside them and they've they've gotten washer and dryer for them and they've gotten bicycles for them and and they're uh, helping them with their uh, young daughter uh, in the educational process and they're just pouring love into their family Uh, and it's interesting what a change this has had you know I've been there and we've seen a little bit of that ourselves as we watch them interact and now that Bosnian couple is starting to attend his church, I don't think he ever made that a condition of his help towards them. But his help towards them says, this is the God I love, the God who teaches me to love you. And they're curious now. And so they're coming to a Christian church. That's the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that transforms. That's the knowledge that marks us as different than those who judge and condemn and divide and conquer Let's just do a review of the points that I've made and then one last point for you this week. Uh, Knowledge devoid of faith only leads to despair. And the Bible just becomes a book of things I can't do. People have preferred beliefs. But God has no preferred people. He looks beyond our separations and says, you know, I love you all. I don't love one more than the other. I want you all to get it right. But it's because I love you that I want you to get it right. Jesus defined knowledge as intimacy, not ideology. A knowledge of God, a deep and personal knowledge of God, and a deep and personal uh, understanding that he has knowledge of you. Jesus called that living water. That's the kind of faith that wells up in you and sustains you through difficult times and, and makes your life transformative. 
Today we're talking about marked, and, and last week if you were here, they, they marked the back of your hand with a, a symbol, uh, the mark symbol, uh, for goodness. This week we're talking about living water and, and what God wants for you uh, as people who have this knowledge of his intimacy with you. And so as you pass through communion, or if you don't take communion, bring your children up, and they're going to take a little bit of water, and we'd like you to put your palm up because that's a receptive attitude, and then they would like to just pour a little water on your hand. Uh, with a shell, uh, symbolizing, you know, uh, God's love for you, a shell being a symbol of of baptism, reminding you that you've been chosen by God uh, for intimacy and a personal uh, relationship with him. So that'll take place in just a moment as you come forward for the Lord's Supper. Just a thought for your week. I saw this this week and it really struck me. The church does not have a mission. A lot of times we talk about the church has a mission. The church does not have a mission. That's, That's pure knowledge. Uh, that's a task to be done. I, I prefer it be said this way. The mission of God has a people. The mission of God has a church. We don't have a task to do. We have a mission to show. It's not my mission. It's the mission of God to reach out and to embrace all people. We pray. Gracious Lord, bless us with this understanding.